Hi, we are going to talk about Avelus, death, bereavement. Let me rewind. Hi, I'm Simi Lerner, and welcome back to the podcast. We're discussing Rav Hirsch's understanding of Avelus, bereavement, and this is coming at the very end of Rav Hirsch's symbolic commandments, the Eidos. We we did the Torahs. We're now in the Eidos. Those symbolic gestures, those signs that we incorporate into our lives to teach us something, to change us, to allow us to perceive the world differently. Avelus is how we react to death. And this is a hard conversation. Personally, I haven't been in a stage, thank God, where where I've experienced this firsthand. So it was a hard podcast to try and record authentically. But with that caveat, with that being said, Let's dive into the way Rav Hirsch sees Avelos and how that is to change us and take us on a journey. And it's one of those things that if you enact these gestures, these symbolic rites of what it means to go through Avelos, you get taken on a journey. And that's the purpose. And it's a journey that takes you from somewhere dark to somewhere light. But beforehand, by way of introduction, because what we're going to do is we're going to do one podcast on the introduction. We're going to talk about the three stages. And then we're going to talk about how these three stages have within them the symbolic acts which live out their purpose. So we spoke about the idea of death, and Rav Hirsch speaks about how the Torah has a way of dealing with emotions, because emotions are part of what it means to be human, and we're supposed to use emotions. That's part of what it means to be human. But there are two extremes. There is the extreme of joy, and there's the extreme of sadness, and both are dangerous. And and you would imagine both would be dealt with, but Rav Hirsch tells us that, yes, they are both dangerous. But one is far more dangerous than the other. Joy and elation can have its extremes, and that can be dangerous. But there is still something to the nature of joy that leaves the door open. It's an open emotion. You might be erratic, you might be happy, but you want people around you. That's the nature of happiness, even in its extreme unhealthy manner. Now, the fact that you're in that stage, state, you, people are around, you can be helped, you can come out of it, but not so when it comes to grief. If grief takes hold, and grief is allowed to take full control, you close in on yourself. You become numb. This is very dangerous, both from a religious standpoint and from an interpersonal standpoint, because you block people off. But that's if it takes its course, but if you numb yourself to it, in another sense, that you don't allow yourself to feel the grief as a response to the dangers of the extreme of it taking over, Rav Hirsch explains that, well, first of all, on the simple level, you stop becoming human because your ability to experience pain is what it means to be human, as well as just the messages that come along with grief. If a person cuts out aspects of the human personality, they become something other than a full human being. That's why when a religious system encourages numbing certain emotions, that's that's very bad. They should be directed. There's a purpose to everything. But the purpose to grief is that grief comes with meaning. The, the Grief is our experience of the world, where people die. And there's something very unfair about that, and very difficult about that. But when we reflect on the nature of reality, it's almost the randomness of our experience brought this to us. We know there are laws of nature, we know things happen, and the meaninglessness of it can be daunting. But that's where the religious impulse comes in. Judaism is there with a message that it isn't random. Yes, the world acts in a certain way, but the overlay of the religious system is to say that no, there is a purpose to things. And experiencing purpose in life is what a religious person is trying to do. 
And if you don't allow meaning and purpose to come about in this way, you lose your opportunity to grow through suffering. So you don't experience the suffering, but you don't experience the growth that comes with it. Besides the unhealthy nature of it from a simple human standpoint, potential for growth comes with this stage of life. And that's what it is. It's a stage of life. Death comes. So how does the Torah deal with this? How does the religious system of Judaism deal with this next stage of life where you've experienced someone close to you passing on? So we're going to break it into the three sections. You have what's called aninus, which is that first stage from the the word to, to be outraged. And Rav Hirsch describes that being the reaction of having something almost physically gone, like a part of your your, your being has been torn away from you. That is the, it's, it's akin to a physical pain. The immediate reaction to the loss of someone who was so much part of you that once they're gone, there is this void. That's akin to physical pain. There is an outrage there that this shouldn't be the case. The next stage is Avelos, where the bar, body, has, body has been buried and it's no longer right in front of you. It's in the past. Now the pain is mental because you reflect on what had been. That's the next stage. The body, the body has been buried, and you reflect. And then lastly, after the seven days, you move out of that into the last stage. And the last stage is joining society, but within who you are and how you're ready to join society, there's a gap there. And the Torah deals with that gap. And the way he describes it is your outward appearance doesn't reflect this rising ego that is now coming into contact with society. And the nature of society from a Jewish standpoint is that there is no death for the community. Community doesn't die. Community, by definition, regenerates. So what you have here in this last and final stage is the individual's been crushed. He slowly emerges. And at the last stage of emergence, the outward appearance, and this is demonstrated by and reflected by the fact that a person doesn't take care of his outward appearance in this last stage, until he joins society, and society allows that healing. It's until other people recognize this in him, he is welcomed back into society. Not that society pushed him away, but now when he's ready and he's gone through this process, he's with society again. He's with the community, and the community heals and the community regenerates because there is no death in the community, which is one of these ideas where you'll have the lack of death in the Beis Amigdash, or you'll have lack of the ability to do the Avoida when a person's in the stage of Avelos. And that's what we're going to develop now. We're going to talk about the first stage, the first stage of Oinon, which is the first and immediate visceral reaction to death. And you had that in the Beis Amigdash, where Koyhain wasn't allowed to involve himself in the community ritual, because once again, there is a there is a difference there. There is a sharp contrast between the community and the idea of death. And those two can't go together. But if they do go together, one should heal the other. The community should heal. But if we remember the way Rav Hirsch describes this first stage, there's no room. He's closed off. He's, he's outraged. There is no room for the community. And in the context of Kedusha, this is very important because everything that goes on in the Beis HaMikdosh is connected to the community. Because, remember, a priest isn't there representing his individual self. He's there representing the community, and he partakes of things holy as a representative of the community. And his feelings and his closed-offness that takes place there cannot allow the community in. That's why either the community heals, as we says at the last stage, or it's called a desecration. 
There's a whole other discussion that Rav Hirsch develops here about the fact that when someone's grieving, they can't come to the base of Migdosh. Besides this communal sense, but the idea that at a point of death and depression and grief, this isn't the time to start looking for religious meaning. Unlike perhaps other worldviews, at the time of death is when that's when the religion gets involved, your last rites, and that's when you call the priest or the holy man. Not so in the Torah. Yes, there's a place for death, and it's being recognized, but it isn't there at the pinnacle of religious expression. So a priest has to refrain from involving himself in any of these sort of rituals within the base of Migdash, except for the high priest. The high priest who literally has, when he's there, he is a complete representative. That you have to the extreme. He is the ultimate representative, in, that, in which case, for him, he has to put aside himself. His complete put aside his individuality. And a high priest does not look at himself as a brother, a father, or a husband. He looks at himself as a representative, and the most important duties he still continues with. It's worth saying that when it comes to the enjoying aspect of the Avoid, he would still step back, because that's when, I suppose, more of his individuality is coming out. So, this being the context in which Chazal developed the ideas of an Ainan, not to stifle the feeling, not to stifle the emotion. What is being done here, in its broadest sense, is a recognition of the need to validate the grief. So our introduction and the previous thing we said about the coin really comes down to this first stage. We're told that we tend to the body, the absolute focusing on the deceased, validating the what's gone on. All religious duties are pushed to the side. All religious duties and responsibilities are pushed to the side. And the only responsibility that remains is that he takes care of the one that is deceased. This is the only responsibility in front of him. And this is really the first stage. Next time we're going to discuss the second stage, but just to focus in on this, a ancient concept that's developed in how the Kohanim are to deal with the concept of death and how that translates to individuals and how we deal with the concept of death. When it came to the priests, the nature of the community stood in opposition to where they were. And that was validated. And that was recognized by they would have to step away from communal roles because the community knew no grief and they couldn't squish it. They couldn't push it down to the ground. No, it had to be validated and recognized and let it run its course. We see that play out in the Kohen Gadol himself. And then in our individual lives, the same principle is lived out. We have this experience, what to be done. We're not in the base of Migdash anymore, but that same validation of the experience of grief is given its course. And in the same way, when it came to the Kohanim, that their responsibilities and their duties were moved to one side, so too over here, responsibilities and duties are also moved to one side in a same manner. So that's the recap. We have these three stages and we develop the first one, the stepping back, stepping back from pleasure, stepping back from responsibility and focusing in on where the person is and what their emotional state is and deal with the loss directly. The next podcast will talk about the last and final two stages of bereavement and Avelos. Thank you as always for your time and your listen. Have a wonderful week.